You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Jesus did the things that we were helpless to do. He not only took away our sin, but he took away the power that sin had over us. He took away the penalty that sin had upon us. The wages of sin of death, we had a death sentence on us. And he took away the presence of sin from us. So Jesus did these things. John says we know these things about Jesus and this should be great encouragement to us. This should be great encouragement to us, but also should be a deterrent for us to avoid sin. Do you ever find yourself feeling like you're too guilty to be saved? You're not the only one. But in today's message, Pastor Dave reminds us that your sins don't need to be held against you anymore. After all, they were paid for by Jesus Christ when he died upon the cross. We don't have to worry anymore. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he begins his message, Children of God. It's a little bit heavy, and I want you to listen as we speak about what we're going to talk about in these scriptures, because they are extremely important. Not that all scripture is not important, but that sometimes you get the scriptures that seem to be a little bit difficult, and you might have a hard time with them. So that might be the case, so hopefully you will have your ears ready to go, or if in the CB days, you got your ears on. Let's read 1 John 3. We're going to read 4 through 10. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God In this the children of God and the children of devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Shall we pray? Gracious Father, as we now come to your word in these glorious passages that the Apostle John has written, open up our hearts, Lord, that we might find truth in here that we might look to see what the Apostle John is saying here and that we might glean from it what he's saying to us individually. Because these are powerful words, Lord. These were words that were inspired by your Spirit. They're your words breathed on this page. And Lord, we want to know what it is that you're saying to us. So help us, Lord, to glean from these scriptures those things that apply to our lives 
that we might do all things according to your word. And Lord, may your word accomplish in us today that for which you sent it. Help us, Lord, to be more like you. Help us, Lord, to avoid sin in our lives and help us, Lord, to practice righteousness. Help us, Lord, as we want so much to please you and to give you glory. And we know, Lord, that the only thing that pleases you is faith. So that we come to you in faith, believing that you will speak to our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm sure that you've all heard the expression, practice makes perfect. I have been told this for years and years, and it seemed that the more I practiced my golf swing, the more I practiced my tennis lob, or the more I practiced anything else for that matter, I never got any better. I seem to always get a little worse or even more worse. I never really understood until I realized that I was practicing the wrong way. When I practiced my golf swing, all my practice swings were for naught because I was doing it the wrong way. So every time I hit the ball, it would make this huge curve to the right. They call that a slice, if you don't know. Then when I correct it and hit the ball, it make a huge turn to the left. That's called a hook. But I didn't know this because I was practicing the wrong way. I wasn't standing properly over the ball. I wasn't holding the club the right way. I wasn't following through. And every time I practiced my way, I did it the wrong way. Subsequently, that's what my golf shop looked like. I visited all the holes on the golf course more than anybody else because I was always walking across one hole to find another to get the ball. During an interview, the legendary football coach Vince Lombardi talked about practice. And he made this extremely poignant statement. Practice does not make perfect. Only perfect practice makes perfect. Interesting. Practice. We're talking about practice. Now, there are some pro athletes who take a dim view of practice. But practice is extremely important. Perfect practice, that is. Many of you know that I was an educator for a long time. And during that time, I was blessed to coach many sports. Coach on the varsity level in high school, several sports that I coach, and I just love the coach. But I would always tell my athletes that you play as you practice. What does that mean? If you practice lackadaisical, you're going to play lackadaisical in the game. Because practice prepared you to play in the game. And you formed bad habits during practice and guaranteed you would make those bad habits during a game. And you would mess up. As you formed these habits, they would translate onto the playing field. Such is life. Life is the same way, especially in our Christian walk. It matters what you're practicing. And it matters how you are practicing This is the question that the Apostle John wants to answer for us this morning. What are you practicing? Are you practicing sin 
Or are you practicing righteousness? Are you practicing sin or are you practicing righteousness? John is saying that what you practice determines whether you're a child of God or a child of the devil. And how you practice will determine how you live your Christian life and what people see in you as you walk through this life. Now, remember some of the purposes that the Apostle John had for writing this letter. And one of them was to warn about false teachers. He didn't want his readers to be deceived. John knew there were false teachers who were telling the people that you could achieve a sinless perfection. Others were teaching that sin was not a real problem, that we should ignore it, that that it was no big deal on how we lived our lives or what we even did. Very sadly that some of those same beliefs are prevalent today. Some of those exact same beliefs are prevalent today. I had a person who talked to me about living a sinless life, and I would scratch my head. In the last section of the letter that John was writing, he was encouraging his readers to look ahead to the soon coming and return of Jesus Christ. That was his theme. Jesus was coming back, is coming back. And he'd argued that it's coming, he's coming very, very soon. And because Jesus was coming very soon, the child of God should avoid sin so that he or she would be ready when Christ appears. In fact, reading verses uh, chapter 2, 28 and 29, he said, And now little children abide in him, speaking of Jesus. And when he appears, when he returns, we will have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So this is what John had been telling us in the previous section. Now, as we move into this section in the children of God, he's now encouraging us not to look for the return of Christ, but he's now wanting us to look back at the cross of Christ. He's encouraging us to look back at the cross of Christ and to look back at the death of Jesus. He's saying, because Jesus died on the cross for you and me, we should also avoid sin and practice righteousness, because this is why Jesus came to earth. This is why he came to earth. So the first thing he does is he wants to describe for you or define for you, if you will, sin. And he does that in verse four. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. So here you have John's definition of what sin is, lawlessness. Well, what is lawlessness? It's simply a disregard for the law. That's what lawlessness is. So basically, if you look at it, sin is rebellion against God. That's what sin is. It's a rebellion against God. Sin is a transgression against the law. Why? Well, what does the law declare? Well, first of all, the law declares that God should be first in my life. The law declares that I should love him more than anyone or anything else, period. And secondly, the law tells me what I should not do. I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't steal. I shouldn't be given over to sexual immorality. I shouldn't desire what somebody else has. This is the law. So therefore, whoever breaks the law commits sin. This is repeated throughout scriptures. 
This thought is repeated throughout Scripture. So John is just really reiterating and reinforcing those things that which have already been taught. Sin is lawlessness, which is rebellion against God. The Greek word for lawlessness is anomia. It means to reject the will or to reject the law of God. So that's what John is saying. That's what sin is. John is saying, hey, guy, sin is a serious thing. Sin should not be minimized. That's what these false teachers were doing in John's day. They were coming against John and minimizing sin. They were being deceptive and they were deceiving people. You know, looking back through the Bible, you find out that deception was a ploy and is a ploy of Satan. Satan loves to use deception. He wants us to think that sin isn't a big deal. Many of us buy into it. You're true, yours truly included. There are times, I mean, think about it. Have you ever prayed something like this? Oh, Lord, if I sinned, that's minimizing sin. If I sinned, or maybe you prayed, oh, Lord, I know I did this, but I'm not as bad as that person over there. Or maybe you play, maybe your thought was this, me, a sinner? <laughs> I love this one. Well, you know, Lord, everybody makes mistakes. We need to call it what it is. It's sin. And all sin is rebellion against God. All sin is lawlessness. There are even religions that place sin in hierarchies. There are sins that are more important and deadlier than other sins. But sin is rebellion against God. All sin is against God, it's against his word, and is against his will. And since the fall of Adam... Sin has caused pain. Sin has caused destruction. Sin has called wars as nations go against nation. Sin has caused conflicts between brothers and sisters, family and friends, and even in the house of God, sin is called division. Sin is destructive and hateful. Sin is horrible and it reeks in our lives. It causes fear. It causes anxiety. And yes, when you're anxious, anxiety can break into being an illness. And sin can call illness. Why? All sin leads to one thing, death. We reap what we sow. That's why it says the wages of sin is death. So John is saying here, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. Now, I know this is not something we all want to hear. I know you all want to hear a slam-bang encouraging sermon so we can all leave here happy and lucky, but that's where, not where we are right now. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We'll get to that in a little while. But Gusick said this, we often fail in the battle against sin because we won't call it what it is, lawlessness, an offense against the great lawmaker, unquote. We got to look at it for what it is. It's sin. And the Lord takes a dim view of sin, and we should also take a dim view of sin. So John continues this thought here, by saying that sin was the reason that Jesus came. Look at verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Remember, John is writing to believers. He's writing to you and he's writing to me, believers in Jesus Christ. He's writing to those who have already accepted Christ as their sacrifice for sin. He's writing to believers and he's saying, you know... You know. Well, what do we know? Well, from this verse, I can see that we know two things. 
Number one, we know that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. And what does this speak of? It speaks of Jesus' mission. It speaks of why Jesus came. It speaks of why God sent Jesus to earth, his mission. All through Scripture, we read this. We know that sin has separated man spiritually from God. Jesus came to reconcile man back to God. He came to redeem us. He came to bridge the gap between God and man. We read this through Scripture. Paul declared, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even Jesus said, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. I mean, even his name. When Gabriel was speaking to Joseph, he said, And you shall name his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. We see this throughout Scripture, reiterated and and, and enforced by Paul. Paul writing to his beloved son, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1, in verse 15, he says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. We have that right here. And in Peter 20, excuse me, in Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, in 1 Peter 2, in verses 21 through 25, he says, For this you were also, for this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, and when he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we have been healed. For we are all like sheep going astray. But now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So we know, if you've studied scriptures long enough, it should be ingrained into your head that we know that Christ manifested himself, he showed himself, he came to earth, to take away our sins. And the second thing we know out of verse 5 is that in him was no sin. Christ was sinless. He had to be sinless to be the perfect sacrifice. Remember what did the thief on the cross say to him? This man has done nothing. What did Pilate say? I don't find any fault in this man. Even Judas, what did Judas say? I've betrayed innocent blood. Again, Repeat it throughout the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Paul writes, For he, speaking of God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So here we have this. So what are they saying in all these verses? What are they saying in all this scripture that I just read to you? Well, 
They're saying that Jesus did what we were helpless to do. Jesus did the things that we were helpless to do. He not only took away our sin, but he took away the power that sin had over us. He took away the penalty that sin had upon us. The wages of sin of death. We had a death sentence on us. And he took away the presence of sin from us. So Jesus did these things. John says we know these things about Jesus, and this should be great encouragement to us. This should be great encouragement to us, but also should be a deterrent for us to avoid sin. Knowing that this was the reason that Jesus came should motivate us to avoid the sinful lifestyle. And John continues in verse 6. As we move along here, he says, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Once again, John returns to one of his favorite themes, abiding in Christ. He returns to his themes regularly. You remember John 15. Since sin is lawlessness, which is a disregard for God in in verse 4, and since Jesus came to take away our sins in verse 5, and since there is no sin in him in verse 5, To abide in him means to not sin. Think about that. When I thought about it, I said, whoa, hold on, John boy. Time out. Wait a minute. Way back in the first chapter, in verse 8, you said that if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then you said in verse 10 that if we have not sinned, if we say we haven't sinned, we make God a liar. You also said that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now you're saying that whoever abides in him does not sin? I'm confused. John, what are you saying here, man? What's going on? Now, this is the important part, folks, and we need to settle this. And as my old biology used to say, hold on tight, we're going to go around a corner. So this is important. This is extremely important. We need to understand some things so we can understand what John is trying to tell us here. Going back to verse 4, the word commit in Greek is plasso. It means to practice continually. It means living a lifestyle of sin. It means practicing sin. And according to the tense of the verb John uses here in verse 6, when he says, does not sin, that also means to not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. The grammar in 1 John 1.8 indicates John is speaking about an occasional act of sin, where the grammar here in 1 John 3.6 indicates that John is speaking of a settled, a continual lifestyle of sin. John is not teaching nor did he believe in the possibility of sinless perfection. Make that clear. But he does make it clear that there is a distinction between committing a sin and continuing in sin. You are We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank available to listen to and even share with your friends and family. 
Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in 1 John or jump into another book of the Bible. A Sure Hope is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. If you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us this weekend. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and We'd be happy to meet you and hear your story. You'll find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. Look on our website for directions, as well as the various ministries that we offer. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand and we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for Church Online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. Well, this edition is coming to a close, but we're grateful that you've been a part of our listening audience today. Make sure you join us again next time for more from 1 John, where Pastor Dave has more to share about this book. We look forward to that time with you again as your heart is reminded of God's love here on A Sure Hope.